Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Thursday, October 24th. I'm Lorraine Cáceres. These are today's headlines. President Trump lashing out on Twitter at opponents from his own party, calling them, quote, human scum. As reports indicate, he knew about a major GOP effort to disrupt Wednesday's impeachment proceedings on Capitol Hill. New word that U.S. troops could in fact be moving back into Syria as U.S. foreign policy in that region takes another chaotic turn. And in Bolivia, President Evo Morales declares himself the outright winner of the presidential elections despite accusations of voter fraud. This and much more today on You News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. We begin with the presidency in peril, Republicans provoking chaos on Capitol Hill Wednesday, storming a secure room and disrupting the testimony of a witness in the impeachment inquiry, their actions causing criticism and praise. Here's the very latest. We're going to go and see if we can get inside. Republicans Wednesday having a tantrum, storming a secure room, disrupting the testimony of Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense Laura Cooper. And then I saw the witness abruptly get up and uh, leave. And then in comes all these members who are not on the committee. They've got their electronics out. They're shouting. They're screaming. And this woman, you know, she works for the federal government, just keeps her head down, wants to do her job, is defying orders from the White House to not participate. And this is what she's subjected to. But for Democrats, a desperate measure by the president's defenders. But for Republicans, a fair protest of what they call a sham process. We demand open proceedings. The American people deserve nothing less. Their representatives in Congress deserve nothing less. And frankly, it should be the people of this country who decide who's going to be the president, not Nancy Pelosi and not Adam Schiff in secret behind closed doors. Democrats say the inquiry so far has been private to prevent witnesses coordinating testimony, but plan to have public hearings starting in mid-November. Investigations are not public. When the investigation is done, there'll be public hearings. That's how it's always been done. Laura Cooper's testimony happened anyway. Sources familiar with her deposition say she gave a very technical explanation of how aid is dispersed, helping to show how the aid to Ukraine deviated from the normal process. Meanwhile, various sources say the president's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, is looking for a criminal defense lawyer to represent him. Two of his associates were arrested this month while trying to leave the U.S. Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman pled not guilty Wednesday to campaign finance-related offenses. Now we look forward to defending Mr. Parnas in the court based upon the evidence and not a smear campaign that's been driven by self-serving and misleading leaks apparently from the highest levels of our government. During the arraignment, the lawyer for Parnas raised concerns with the judge that authorities might have seized documents possibly protected by Trump's executive privilege, something that only applies if the president actually did communicate with either of the men arrested. This as the former acting attorney general Matt Whitaker says Democrats should have a preliminary hearing to present the evidence they've collected so far, then making a shocking statement. Sort of abuse of power is not a crime. Let's fundamentally boil it down to, you know, the, the Constitution is very clear that this has to be some pretty egregious behavior and they cannot tell the American people what this case is even about. 
Meanwhile, House Democrats on Wednesday approved a measure aimed at combating foreign influence in U.S. elections. The bill is known as the SHIELD Act. It would require political campaigns to tell the FBI and the Federal Election Commission about foreign nationals offering illegal election help. Also, political ads on digital platforms like Facebook would have to abide by the same rules set forth for TV and radio. It comes against the backdrop of the intelligence community's findings that Russia interfered in the 2016 election in an effort to help then-candidate Donald Trump. Trump's Republican allies in Congress broadly voted against the bill, saying it could undermine free speech. The bill is not likely to clear the Republican-controlled Senate. Elsewhere on Capitol Hill, Democratic Representative Katie Hill admitted she had an inappropriate relationship with a campaign staffer, but denied a report of an affair with her legislative director, all while vowing to cooperate with the House Ethics Committee in a newly launched investigation. In a letter to constituents, the Democrat acknowledged that in the final years of what she called an abusive marriage, she began a relationship with the unnamed campaign staffer. Hill was elected to Congress in the 2018 midterm elections. She is the vice chairman of the powerful House Oversight Committee. And this morning, the casket of Democratic Congressman Elijah Cummings arrived at the Capitol for a memorial service. Congressional historians say Cummings is the first African-American and African-American lawmaker to lie in state at the Capitol. Cummings represented Maryland's 7th District for the more than 27 years. Former President Obama is expected to speak at Cummings' funeral Friday in Baltimore. Cummings died last week at the age of 68. And now to the latest on Syria. The president on Wednesday saying he's proud of the U.S. brokered ceasefire agreement, angering critics who say he provoked the violence. Pablo Gato has the details from Washington, D.C. President Trump is praising his decision to lift sanctions on Turkey and negotiating a permanent ceasefire. He said that Kurds are happy with his decision to withdraw U.S. troops and that escaped ISIS terrorists have been recaptured. When we commit American troops to battle, we must do so only when a vital national interest is at stake. But Democrats and many Republicans say that ISIS is still a national security threat and that U.S. troops should have stayed to prevent ISIS from regrouping. Like concerning, none of it's surprising, and you know he's going to have to li live by that. Re what, what happens? What happens out of this? And we're only going to know not really in the next month, not in the next two months, but I think in the five-year history when we failed to enforce the red line in Syria in 13, it took a while to see the ramifications of that, of which this is all part. Highlighting the controversy of President Trump's decision, James Jeffrey, the U.S. envoy to Syria, testified in Congress that U.S. troops had not finished their mission, and therefore the withdrawal might be premature. He added that at least 100 ISIS terrorists were still on the loose. Local authorities say that the number could be in the hundreds. And not only that, but the special envoy made serious accusations against Turkish allies fighting the Kurds. We've seen several uh, incidents which we consider war crimes. Accusations that were echoed by the Pentagon. I've seen the reports as well. We're trying to monitor them. They are horrible. 
and if accurate, and I assume that they are accurate, uh, they would be war crimes. In this video, Turkish allies are desecrating the corpse of a dead Kurdish woman and a Kurdish man. This is the widely circulated video of the murder of Kurdish activist Harbin Kalaf her bodyguards beaten before execution. A U.S. official said that these fighters are mostly extremists, former ISIS and Al-Qaeda members. What have we just done? Have you found a single military person who doesn't feel like we have just besmirched America's reputation around the world? The Pentagon says that in Syria and Iraq there are at least between 30 and 40,000 ISIS terrorists. That's all for the moment from Washington. Back to you in the studios. Fewer children in the United States are being covered by state and federal insurance programs for lower-income families. The Trump administration says more parents are getting jobs and getting off Medicaid and the CHIP program. But statistics show there may be other reasons, too. Here's Luis Mejid. Since Donald Trump became president, more than one million children have lost their public health benefits. According to the New York Times, the number of uninsured minors has skyrocketed in states such as Tennessee, Georgia, Texas, Idaho, and Utah. The reasons are easy to understand. Some states have increased the paperwork to apply and have now tighter requirements. Desde el en que and many immigrant parents are reluctant to ask for help for fear of deportation. Whether documented or not, California is a friendly state towards immigrants. By law, even undocumented children have the right to get public health benefits. In other less friendly states, immigrant families are wondering what to do. So the thing is to seek the medical help and, and not necessarily go to the cities to get medical or whatever because then they may be turned in. But the thing is to actually go through clinics and hospitals and they will give them the help without necessarily asking their immigration status or putting them in jeopardy. The main thing is to make sure children get the medical care they need. Fear, justified or not, should not put them at risk. In San Francisco, Luis Mejid, U News. And as the nation continues grappling with the ongoing vaping crisis, one health center in Los Angeles is taking proactive steps to protect its employees by banning vaping at work. Jaime Garcia has the story. The Latino Kids Health Center became the first medical facility in Los Angeles County to adopt the most strict workplace ban on vaping in all indoor and outdoor premises. It's a way to set a model for our patients. Um, we encourage patients to live a healthy lifestyle and making these changes um, is a way to show them that we also uh, take part in the changes that we ask them to take. The new signs advise the clinic staff that vaping is prohibited. Vaping and smoking are now unacceptable at any place in our facility and in our parking lots. And the most important is that any employee that at lunchtime makes use of electric cigarettes outside the building, it's obligated to change the clothes before they come back to work. And that is really important because they're, um, you know, the, all these, you know, e-cigarettes and, and tobacco products, they have chemicals that still penetrate in our clothes. And so as a health facility, you know, you don't want to have, let's say, the front, front staff line passing on some of those second and third hand smokes to their clients that come in for health. There's about 500 people who have gotten sick recently uh, from vaping-associated lung illness and about nine deaths associated with vaping. 
The directors doesn't believe that they are violating any law by adopting a more strict policy to the clinic staff in order to keep their 4,000 patients free of harmful substances. We would do it as an employment counseling process. And then we'd also work with them to make resources available, the smoke-free hotline, etc. So to our knowledge, the way we're approaching it does not violate any privacy or confidentiality circumstances. From now on, any person that comes to this clinic to receive medical attention can do it with the trust that nobody of the personnel that will attend them has been exposed to cigarette or vaping. In Los Angeles, Jaime Garcia, U News. And Central Americans are no longer the group submitting the most applications for asylum in the United States, as Joanna Uzma explains. Despite an intense focus on Central American asylum seekers over the last year due to the caravans, Mexicans are now at the top of that list. Customs and Border Protection says that Mexicans now have the most nationals seeking asylum in the United States. Mexico topped the list of countries in August of the most people crossing the U.S. border illegally or detained at checkpoints, surpassing Honduras, Guatemala and El Salvador. In the Tijuana shelters, they say that Mexicans have not stopped arriving at the border fleeing poverty and violence. Central Americans are still arriving, but not in the big numbers as we saw in the caravans. Every day the shelter receives Central Americans, but I can tell you that here half of the newcomers are Mexican. At Casa Madre Asunta, where migrant families and women are taken care of, there are dozens of cases of Mexican women seeking asylum. Carmen came from Guerrero looking for asylum. Yes, it's impossible to live there. We don't have a house, nothing. We are practically on the street, and on top, we have the threats. She says that leaving her home state was very hard, but it was the only option she had to survive and save her children. I'm looking for them to be safe, to have a calmer life, far from so many dangers. That's why I'm here. And she and hundreds of others are looking for an opportunity in the United States just to move forward, but above all, to have a better life. However, Mexican immigration authorities say that the numbers have not increased. To apply for asylum in the United States, the situation remains the same. They always come to apply, but none in an extraordinary number these days. Reported by Jorge Fregoso in Tijuana, Mexico. This is Joanna Uzma, U News. Meanwhile, in Bolivia, protesters poured onto the streets of the capital, La Paz, as anger continues to mount over election results there. Current President Evo Morales is Morales declaring himself the outright winner of the country's presidential election Thursday, giving him a fourth term. International vote monitors have expressed concern at an earlier unexplained day-long gap in reporting results before a sudden bump in Morales's vote percentage. And staying on Bolivia, Pablo Monsalvo is in the capital of Sucre covering the elections as, and has the latest. Four days after the elections, it's still unclear whether or not Evo Morales will avoid a runoff or if he will get a fourth term in office. Final numbers are due any moment, but many in Bolivia suspect there was fraud. Violent protests have rocked cities and towns since Monday, with people demanding a quick, clear and transparent resolution of this controversial electoral process. 
For a second day in a row, President Morales called a press conference declaring victory despite final results not being in yet. We are very satisfied, very happy, but 1.5% of the votes are still remaining, they told me. There is about 120,000 votes remaining. Things can change. It can bring us up or down. That's also true. It is not official yet, but we have won. Those 120,000 votes, the majority, are from the rural areas, and that's our vote. On Wednesday, Morales blamed the opposition of attempting a coup d'état and used that to justify his decision to institute a state of emergency. Morales' rival, former President Carlos Mesa, denied the accusations and blamed Morales of being the anti-democratic one. We are asking the international community to stay vigilant so that our beloved Bolivia doesn't fall under a dictatorship which President Morales wants to take us to. Meanwhile, the country is in chaos. A general strike has gripped the nation since Wednesday and will continue until election results are announced. People are worried about the lack of food or gas. The Organization of American States, OAS, suggested a runoff election between Morales and Mesa, even if the final count favors Morales because of the narrow margin. All the elections must be governed by the principle of legality, certainty, transparency, equality, independence and impartiality. The mission was able to determine that various of these principles were violated during the election process. The OAS has called unacceptable the sudden interruption of vote counting. Many don't understand why after the pause the vote reverted in Morales' favor. From Venezuela, Nicolás Maduro sided with Evo Morales, declaring him the victor. Quiero expresar toda la solidaridad de la República Bolivariana. I would like to express my solidarity with the people of Bolivia and with legitimate constitutionally re-elected President Evo Morales Ayma, head Indian of the South. Other regional leaders like Argentina's president will not recognize Morales as president-elect until international organizations ratify his victory. Bolivia's chaotic elections is evidence of what happens in this country has repercussion in the rest of South America, a region going through turmoil not seen for decades. It is not clear yet when the final results will be published. What it is very clear is that the opposition will not accept any other option than a runoff of these elections. So we could say that the institutional and political crisis in this country has already begun. Now, back to you. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your News, your world, your news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. Now let's go to Annabelle Sedano, who brings us today's tech report, including shocking numbers about teens using Snapchat while driving. Annabelle, take it away. Hi there, that's right. And we begin with this. Young drivers aren't just texting and driving. A new study finds about one in six drivers between the ages of 17 and 25 use Snapchat while behind the wheel. More than 500 young drivers were surveyed. 16% of people surveyed say they've opened the Snapchat app on their phones while driving. Of those drivers, 15% admitted they've sent photos and videos. 
And Google has announced another achievement, a long-sought breakthrough called quantum supremacy, which could allow new kinds of computers to do calculations at speeds that are inconceivable with today's technology. The Google's device did in three minutes, 20 seconds, a mathematical calculation that supercomputers could not complete in under 10,000 years. They say a quantum machine could one day drive big advances in areas like artificial intelligence and make even the most powerful supercomputers look like toys. Imagine that. And finally, NASA has a new mission to go to Mars by 2035 and the moon by 2024. NASA Administrator Jim Bridenstine made the comments saying that speeding up the moon landing will make the Mars landing happen faster as well. But before they can reach that lofty goal, they'll have to find out ways to keep astronauts healthy and make sure they have enough food to supply and explore that red planet. Interesting, right? I'm Annabelle Sedano, and that was your Daily Dose of Tech News. Have a good one, guys. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.